Hi. You are listening to Mobile Couch, and this is a show where we talk about mobile development. Yes, not development as in like, you know, developing in cars, but develop, although I did try that to do a that. cool idea. I tried to do that the other day. It's, it's difficult. My LTE connection was really batchy. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Good was that like on a drive to Sydney or something? No. What are we talking about? Coding, coding on the move. Coding, coding Mo- in mobile cars development. Stuff. I tried to upload a build while driving back to Canberra once. How did that work out? For it you? did not work. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. <laughs> anyway, we we actually talk about the other kind of mobile development, which is for mobile devices. Uh, this is episode number thirty-four, because the last episode was number thirty-three, and that's how numbers work. And this week, Ben is back. Hello, I'm back. Yay. How you feeling? Celebrate. How you feeling, Ben? I'm still not 100%. So, so you wouldn't say that you're feeling choice? No. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> Sorry. I apologize for that Russell guy. You just Yeah. I think you mean I think you mean other Ben. It's choice yeah. as bro. Alternate alternate Ben. Yeah. Mm. We missed you. He was good. Yeah, okay. We didn't really miss you. Yeah, then. no, no, no. <laughs> just switch me out every week. Some new and exciting. That's what I reckon. <laughs> just, just replace you every week with somebody who calls himself Ben Tringrove, or in this case, Ben Tringrove. Yeah. yeah. Maybe then people will start thinking better of me. It'll just be the collection of everyone else, the combined <laughs> knowledge of the <laughs> iOS community. So one of the things that we didn't really get into last week, because, well, I mean, we talked about it, because obviously it's a big, big announcement, um, but we didn't get into it in a lot of detail because... Neither myself, nor Jake, nor alternate Ben uh, had really done too much of ex- like too much exploring of it. Mm, you're um, right. We really should get into the Beats acquisition. We really should. <laughs> we really should discuss this Beats acquisition. They were quick to line their stores with Beats headphones. Like we went to Didn't the Apple store in San Francisco. Yeah, they were in there, but they weren't behind every device in the store. Yeah, fair enough. Like they were literally lining the walls yeah, with Beats headphones. That's true. There you go. Um, so the, the topic that we didn't really get into was Swift, right? And we, we talked about it a little bit. We talked about kind of very generic stuff, but, um. Generics? We, we didn't talk well about generics much at all. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, good, good. So, but now that we've got Ben back, Ben went to all the, has been, went to all the sessions and has been playing a lot with Swift. Yeah. Yes. So can you teach us about Swift? I, I've started reading the book, but I didn't get that far. I started writing some Swift stuff. Cool. Um, well, what do you guys think? Do you? I'm excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm just excited that there's something new to learn. Like I think that's fun. Um, I'm kind of in conflicted because I'm both excited and slightly nervous that all my knowledge to date will suddenly become irrelevant. Yeah. But you know. Well, I don't think it will because most of your knowledge is actually the frameworks, not the language. That's true. Mm. Like, the language is just some syntax, really. Exactly. And, in fact, that's the thing that I've noticed most about learning Swift so far is that um, as soon as I started using it in the context of writing an app, I kind of, like, stopped thinking that much about Swift. Yeah, you just sort of do it. Yeah, exactly. It's just a, a different syntax. And then go syntax. back and delete all your semicolons. Yes. <laughs> that, that is really annoying, actually. <laughs> why, why are there so many parts of the language that are optional? I agree. Like, you I reckon it should just be. Got rid of yeah, them. Yeah, get rid of them. Just get rid of them, get rid of them, make it a syntax error, and I'll quickly relearn. But the fact yeah. that they're optional, yeah. 
I do. They're, they're Maybe you just throughout. need to set up your Clang format thing that you use with Objective C to work with Swift. Does it does does Clang format work with Swift? I don't sure. believe so. Okay. I think I saw um friend of the show Tony Arnold who's done some uncrustify slash clang format stuff i think yeah he actually committed to clang format yeah i think i saw him complaining or logging bugs around formatting of swift okay um i don't know about well, you guys because xcode stuffs it up as well right and xcode there's some process in xcode that crashes regularly when i'm writing swift the kind of syntax aware part of xcode yep. i reckon it's the highlighter have you noticed it gets it wrong yeah like it'll and i get a little dialogue saying such and such crashed and it's like mm. okay and then about two seconds later it obviously relaunches and the color comes back Huh, I haven't seen that cool. yet. Um, at least it doesn't crash all of Xcode. Um, I mean, it is, it is only early, so it's not like we can complain yeah, too not, much. Not at all. I'm sure that the syntax formatting will come along as we're highlighting as will all of the rest of it. We'll probably have a new build by the time this episode actually comes out. Which would oh, be that'd nice. be exciting. That would be exciting. Mm. But yeah, so far, I think the stuff that I love about Swift is um, I, I'm a fan of generics, so I like the fact that it's got generics. Um, I actually am starting to really like the um, the fact that it's less cluttered. Yeah. Like, it's nice to read. Yeah. Um, yeah, I quite like the few little bits of functional stuff that's in there. Like, um, I've, I've read critiques of Swift in the past week that are sort of saying some people have described it as a functional language, and it's really not. Yeah, I've read that too. Um, and I get that. That's fine. But um, for me, as someone who's hasn't done a lot of functional programming, it's kind of nice that there are some basic functional things built in, like um, you know being able to map an array um, and yeah. having it built in. Yeah, it, I mean it's it's better. It's kind of more functional than what Objective C. Yeah, definitely. It's probably less functional less than Objective C with the reactive cocoa. Sure, mm, sure. But I, I think that's. I think I still think that that's a good, a fairly good starting point because some of the some of the reactive cocoa stuff. I I don't know that I could get quite that deep into reactive. Yeah, reactive programming. So I, I, as we probably you guys were aware from when we discussed this previously, I I was struggling to sort of bridge that gap in reactive cocoa of getting past the sort of early learning to really getting my head around how to think in terms of reactive right. programming. And I, that that plagued me during the episode that we recorded. Like, it was really hard to wrap my head around what was exactly was going on. Yeah. Whereas with Swift, I found I've started using those little functional bits already. Like, yeah. um, you know, I was writing a bit of code that had a an array of dictionaries and I wanted to uh, pull stuff out of the dictionaries and populate proper Swift objects and then return you know, array an array of my types. Yep. Um, and whereas I'd probably normally do that in an object to see in some sort of for loop, I'm like, hang on, Swift has got a thing for it. I'll just do a map. And then you just write... It makes a lot of sense. You know, use that trailing closure syntax and just write a simple function that takes an a dictionary and returns one of the strongly typed objects. So can you explain map? Because I've heard a lot of criticism already that all the sample code that uses map from Apple is just sort of used instead of a for loop. Because apparently it's meant for something else. Okay, which I, don't I was know. just using instead of a for loop. Yeah. I, I, I don't mean, know what else it's meant to be used for. So my understanding of map is that it just allows you to um, write a closure or a, a function that captures the scope of the surrounding code, but you don't necessarily do much with that scope. So a function that um, will map one element in an array to another to something else. Um, so you call map on your whole array uh, 
with a function that you want to use for each, for each element in the array, and then you get back a mapped array. Something that ah, so what does a mapped array do? I think that's no, I'm no, no, that's it. No, no, nothing special. It's ah. just another array that instead of containing the stuff that was there in the first place, contains the stuff you wanted to map it to, like some new values, something you've derived. Yeah, from. yeah, you oh, can, okay. you can just I derive. See. Yeah. yeah. So in my case, I had a an array of dictionaries, and I got back an array of you know a proper type, like um, can't remember what it was, a blog post. But you could do parsing. you could do stuff with it, like for instance, pass um, if you start with an, an array of like IP addresses, you could map that array and get back domain an names. array of well domain names or for instance um, or locations based on yep. those IP addresses. Cool, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you could do the same thing with a for loop, right? But instead of um, having to write the code that iterates, you just write the function you want to be applied to each other. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit less. It reminds it removes like two three lines of code. And I think you can chain functions more. I think that's where it comes to. That's what everyone is complaining about. Like map is really a thing you're meant to chain together to get more complex behavior. Yeah. Whereas that's the where examples. I, I don't know. The other thing that, um, and see, again, this is probably highlighting my complete lack of knowledge when it comes to functional programming. But the thing that strikes me is that um, with a for loop, you tend you tend to approach the array in order, even though you might not need those things in order mm-hmm. whereas with a map because you're writing a function that just acts on an element it doesn't really need to know and can't know what element it happens to be up to so potentially the compiler slash frameworks context in which it's running could potentially parallelize it for me maybe yeah maybe i'm mean. talking crazy here but because you're just writing a single function like do this for each element in the array you could potentially just split the array into a bunch of things do them all at the same time mm. and then put it back together at the end maybe yeah maybe i'm misunderstanding that but i thought like that's what um the block based enumeration was kind of getting at with gcd you could you know you could enumerate a yeah, list. object using block yeah my yeah. understanding that was about doing stuff in parallel right so that well, it's possible it's possible that map is doing that sort of stuff as well have you guys tried to use enumerate objects using block in swift no i did just for just for laughs. Does it work? Yeah, it does work. It's just that stop pointer is like ridiculous. <laughs> um, so for anyone who's not familiar, enumerate objects using block has a pointer to a Boolean called stop. And if you want to stop enumerating in your block, yep. you change the value of that Boolean, which is at that address that you're given. So it's like breaking out of the loop. Yeah, that's how you break out of the loop. Yep. But because we're in Swift now and you're not meant to think about pointers, pointers are like an edge case. So you get, they use an Objective-C mutable bool pointer. I might have got those words around the wrong way. But anyway, that's the type. And to change Jeez. to change the value of that type, you need to go into another block. So you get a block inside your block where you get the access to the raw memory, but then you can't just set it to... Actually, it turns out you can. I had the wrong... you got to use lowercase true, not uppercase true, because that returns something else. But anyway, it was complicated. I have I posted it on my Twitter. It's pretty interesting. Um, it's very complex. It does sound like a crazy edge case. 
That's, yeah. what, I'm, that's what I'm hoping to avoid in using Swift. I is think, like being able to think at a higher level and not worry yeah, about. That. I think I think with the um with Swift though, the the whole point is to use is to be using things with closures and stuff now, not using some of the old block based APIs. Yeah, well, it was just for I totally don't use it. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that that reminds me actually because. You mentioned in the previous episode that I was on, so the pre WWDC video, yep, not video, pre WWDC podcast, yep, that you were hoping that we wouldn't have to worry about retain cycles anymore. We do, and we do still have to worry about retain cycles. Yeah, but we got a new reference type, or like, so there's it, it's slightly nicer than you don't have to like use a weakify macro. Or, you still have the weakify self, but they made the syntax a bit yeah, nicer. Yeah, exactly. So it's unowned. Is that right? You go unowned. Yeah. So they they allow you to list what not to capture in your block. Right. Oh, sorry, your closure. Yeah. In the syntax before the closure, before you actually start the implementation of the closure. You yeah. Sort of so say that's pretty much for unowned, and then the variables you don't want. But the cool to be- thing is this unowned thing. So there was a problem in Objective C, which was only really a theoretical problem, I guess. But I'd heard talk about it before that, like, say your IB outlets and self and all that really shouldn't be weak pointers because the program wouldn't work without them. Like, your yeah. block is not going to run without self, therefore that reference should be strong. Yeah. But it can't be strong because then you create this was a retain the, cycle. This was one of the things that they used their uh, apartment and renter Exit, yeah, yeah. It was in the intermediate one. I remember that. Yeah, but so it's like a cool solution to that problem. It's like saying it. This program doesn't work without it, but still you don't have to like hold on to it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the example that they used was the apartment and the renter, right? So you can't so if you have a if if the apartment has a strong reference to the renter, when the renter tries to move out, that doesn't work because because the the strong reference to the that the apartment has to the renter causes it to stay in memory, and so the renter ends up getting stuck in the apartment. Um, on the other hand, if you use weak in that instance, I can't remember what the problem was, but there was, there was a problem with that as well. It's just, it's just like semantics because it would still work. Like if we were in objective C trying to model that you'd use a weak reference and everything would work. And you'd be, you'd be fine. Technically it shouldn't be weak because the renter can't exist without an apartment. Right. Mm. That's, that was the problem. And so the other, the, the problem so the way that they made the solution that they use was is unowned, which means that your rented can't exist without an apartment, and your apartment can't exist without no, the apartment can the apartment can exist without a renter, but the renter can't exist without an apartment. And so when you create the renter, they have to have an apartment, but then when the renter tries to move out, then the apartment is then the apartment does allows that, and everything is yeah hunky dory. Anyway, yeah, it's cool. I think I think I get the new. Sort of uh now what are they called? Attributes? Yes. Mm. Yeah. I think that's what they're called. Attributes for properties. Um some stuff that I'm finding weird about Swift is uh firstly, there's no public private separation. That's coming. Okay, that is coming. Was yeah, that addressed? Openly it wasn't in any session. Yeah. But if you go talk to them in the labs, they're, they're like, like open about it that yeah, it's good. Well, the other thing is, like in that in that regards, right? They they were very strong about this throughout the entire conference that you should, if there is something that you want Swift to have, yeah, and it doesn't bug. already have it, you should be creating a radar for that. Yeah, of course. But I mean, what's the point of creating a radar for something that's already on the roadmap? Like, ah, because they use duplicates to do priority. I learned. So yeah, and I've heard lots of people say that, and I frankly I think that's 
a waste of our time. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. But if you're you have, saying you're saying that as can somebody I finish, who can I finish what I was saying? Okay, sure, fine. <laughs> if they had something like Stack Overflow, where there's a public log of what people have reported, and there was a way of saying yes, I agree with this one, um, add my vote to it, then that's fine. But if it's complete black hole, and they're like, you got no visibility of what anyone else has already reported, please, everyone, just report everything that you could possibly care about, um, and we'll. Take advantage of the fact that a thousand of you are all going to report the exact same thing to pay more attention to that. Basically, what you're saying is that 999 of those thousand people have wasted their time writing the exact same thing that the first person wrote when they could have just gone, yes, I agree with that person. That's not necessarily true either. And I mean, that's, and that, and as I was going to say, that's not like the, the attitude that you have, you have towards that black hole thing kind of comes from a, a, a standpoint of, well, you've got to report everything. You've got to like you've got to do these crazy in detail uh, radars, which is not the case. They they are perfectly happy to receive like a one line thing that says this is the problem. Yeah, I yeah. think it for bugs. I can see why they do that because their argument is that by doing that, they actually get more and more background information every time. But for feature requests, it makes no sense. Like you should just be able to say, yeah, I agree with that, because they're not going to get more information about it. Because it's just a feature request, so yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, there, kind of, there are pros and cons to both. Every to, year to I leave WWDC like reinvigorated with radar after talking <laughs> to the engineers, and it slowly lapses over the year until the point where I just don't radar. Maybe that's my problem because I didn't go. I'm I've, not reinvigorated. I think. I think the most important thing is something that I touched on last week was that was this whole thing of like now is the time to be doing radars because. The more that they get now, the more that they can deal sure. with before before the release is out. I'm not going to go and log a radar that there should be public and private already did properties. It, and it was marked as duplicate really there fast. You go. Okay. All my Swift ones have already been, every single one has been marked as duplicate. And that makes you feel good about it rather than like you've wasted your time. Well, they took two seconds. They were all yeah, okay. one-liners. And that's Except the thing. one. I what, found one What bug. was on your others? Oh, geez. Now I can't remember. Um, one was a bug where the... Um, array behavior was wrong in Xcode, but it worked in the REPL, which was the triple equals to arrays. Arrays are weird, by the way. We'll get into that in a second. But what's the triple equals to? It's for these objects are exactly the same. So in memory as well. As in they they occupy the same same, point in memory. They're exactly the same. Um, It's not just their values are the same. Yes. It's that they're the same reference. They are actually the same. Um. Yeah, and that wasn't working, and it's broken in Xcode and our seed. Right. Um, which was really confusing, and I'll tell you why in a sec. What was my other one? Um, Public-private, which I got told by an engineer that's probably going to be in there by the end of when it's probably released. And is that um, for everything or just properties? Oh, I'm not sure. I would just was the th- I would hope that it's for at least properties and methods. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah, I was, I'd hope that maybe it's for classes too. Yeah. Like Java, C sharp. I think public, public I think protected. that the way that they want you to be able to do that is not so much to make the classes themselves private. It seems seemed like they wanted you to, if you're like releasing a framework or something like that, then you should be um, removing like p- private headers from which we don't have header files, but you en- end up like generating stuff as private. I don't know. Yeah, but I think it relates to namespacing or the potential for collision, right? If you've got um if you have ways of isolating sections of your code from whether it specify whether it can legitimately be called 
from code that's external to the class or not. So in Java, you've got um, private methods can only be called by other methods in the same class. Right. So if you, um, you and I could both write the same private methods yep. elsewhere. P- spaces PHP works um, the same way. Protected methods can be called from anything in the same package. Okay, and that's different to PHP. Pub- public okay. can be called from anything. Yep. Um, I think that'd be handy. And and private classes are handy too for, you know, where for breaking your code up, like you make sense for you to structure your code so that these things are kind of separate. Um, but, yeah, you don't necessarily want to expose an internal implementation detail to anything else externally at all. Um, maybe it's not such a big deal because of the lack of reflection, which is the other thing that I'd add to my wish list for Swift. Is that maybe the other thing is is that if there's any sort of um, code reuse going on, they I think they seem to want to make it happen through frameworks now, as opposed to like static libraries and stuff like that. And hiding, I, yeah, there's clearly there's clearly ways of hiding, um, hiding your classes and stuff like that that you just want internal to that framework, mm. um, and not be ex- like not be used externally. I think private also helps with inheritance, right? So subclasses can't call methods yeah. that are declared as private, um, which is which, which is, is great on nice. methods. But I don't know how that works. I don't understand how that works with a class. So you can't inherit from a private class at all. At all? No, I don't think you can. External. You can't subclass. Her. Yeah, you can't subclass something that's private. But if if you, okay, it's all public private stuff's also good for teams. Like if I write a cool part of the code. I don't want someone messing with it so that bit's private. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. And and I'd like reflection. And in terms of reflection, I'd like uh, extensible attributes a la C-sharp. Yeah, yes. so you want to be able that. to add your own at thingies. Yeah, like there's heaps of them there. So obviously the language supports the idea of having at thingies. Um, <laughs> at thingies. <laughs> at thingies. That's, I like how we're very, getting very technical. Mm. At optional in protocols to say that methods are optional. Um, it'd be nice to be able to declare your own attribute type and then use it and then reflect on it. Yeah, for sure. I remember my other one was KVO. I wanted KVO for Swift objects. But we've got the, the preset. Yeah, but that's only for classes things. you wrote yourself. I shouldn't have to subclass everything I ever want did to. Did or something, whatever they're called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I shouldn't have to subclass So does KVO any... not work at all? KVO works for things that in- inherit from NS object. Right. Which K- is where it's implemented. Yeah. That makes sense. So KVO is part of Coco, not part of the Swift language. Yeah. Yeah. But I want a language know, level implementation feature. on any object to do it. Because you currently you can observe from Swift. So in your Swift classes you can observe NS object things. Can you cat you can use categories to do that? Like or, or extensions or whatever they're called now in Swift? Can oh you yeah, extend, yeah. You could do it as a third class party. Totally. To like if so if you wanted to like uh if you wanted to yeah, observe extend... the like for instance a frame of a view. Can you can you create an extension on that on on a on UI view or whatever it's called or just view now I don't know. Yeah, you could do that in Objective C too. Yeah, it's just like instead of creating a whole new file and a whole new category, it's just like a one. Right, you just want to do what, you just want to do a one liner. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is the whole thing's a huge hack. So I can I asked one of the engineers in the labs and he was like, I don't know, KV is a bit of a hack. They're kind of all like pure about Swift. So all right. It's interesting. I wonder. Um, my my perception of Swift changed a fair bit from when I went through reading the book and doing the exercises that were sort of pure Swift to then 
using Xcode and doing a new iPhone app project with Swift as the programming language. Because mm-hmm. it felt kind of entirely different. Like in pure Swift, um, all of the functions and, and methods, I guess, I'm still going to still call them methods, but do they, they call them functions, don't they? Yeah. When they're on classes. Yeah. And they're all closures. Yeah. Functions are just another special case of closure. Okay. So all my closures were <laughs> like returning, uh, you know, um, strong types and things like that. Um, but as soon as I'm using it in the context of Coco, like everything's coming back as an any object. Like, um, I don't know, I was doing a table view delegate. Oh, that's just because those um, interfaces are all probably automatically generated and they're all ID. And- yeah, exactly. Um, but it's kind of like this mismatch of ideologies, right? Like the Swift way of thinking tends to be like, use generics. So yeah, give definitely. the compiler as much information about the type of the objects that you're dealing with. Whereas the Coco frame set sort of seems to be like, if you can pass a message to it and it responds to that, we don't really care what, yeah, what it actually Yeah, that's is. what I noticed as well. And everything from Coco comes back as one of these implicitly unwrapped optionals, which is the exclamation mark. Yeah. And those are like, when you watch the Swift talks and stuff, those are for like, I definitely know what I'm doing when I use this. This is for a special case because I am saying, don't worry about checking this anymore. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. So, and that idea sounded great that everything was like compiler checked, like this is always going to have a value because I know because the compiler checks it yeah. until I get into Coco, which is really all I'm ever going to do with this language, in which case everything is already unwrapped for me so I can still just crash with a nil value. And so I'm still checking for nils everywhere. Yeah. So optionals are really nice. Oh, they're so cool. I, I, that's another thing I'm enjoying about Swift, that idea that you can have a, yeah, you can differentiate between a variable that, you know will always contain a value and a variable that might sometimes be nil and yeah. then propagate that differentiation around. And The only thing I don't like about them is they do, like they showed some examples and they were like, wow, it's so concise. But I thought question marks after every little word got a bit lame looking. Like that just looked ugly. Mm. I can't remember what example but they But imagine gave, how much but... uglier it would look if you were actually checking for nil <laughs> at every level where there was a question mark in your code. Yeah, well, I mean, the yeah, example definitely. that they show with that, right, I think it's even in, like, the example in the keynote of Swift and how, how much con- more concise it is, is, like, all these if-else like if else statements to mm. check whether something is, is not nil all the way down. Yeah. And then they show it with Swift and it's all, like, one line. Like, I, I really, I, I mean, as much as question marks kind of irk me, because punctuation with question mark and then a period after it. Yeah. It just, it's like, I know what uh, you mean. But the thing is, is that this is like, this is a language. I mean, th- we're going to get used to that in no yeah, time at all. For sure. It'll be, it'll be just like, it'll just be just like prefixing your classes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Actually, the thing that um, got me was that I'm starting to check stuff that I never would consider checking before. And maybe I've misunderstood the implicit unwrapping stuff that you just mentioned. But I was in um, implementing a table view delegate or data source, I can never remember which. Say I was doing self or row at index path. Data source. Um, and the index path could potentially, was an optional. And yeah, I'm like, it's... oh, I could be given a nil index path here. Wow, never considered that. Yeah, and you do have to check it now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You have to check it. and Which is weird. Like, why would, you know, I've, I've returned my data, data source tells you how many rows there are. Why would you then ask me for one? With a nil index path, to know your yeah, I don't know either. Might, have a look. But um, interesting tip: if you do accidentally 
call something on one of those unwrapped, implicitly unwrapped variables that doesn't actually have a value in it, it crashes with exec bad instruction, which okay. is like totally cryptic. Right. But that's what it means. So that's what you get. And you get that, no exception. Is that what you get every time you get that? Exec? Yeah, every time it hits there, it goes exec bad instruction. Yeah. Yep. And you're like, ah. Now I get it. But at first I was like, what does that even mean? Like, yeah. that's a really deep error. <laughs> so, I mean, this this weird zone we're in where there's this mismatch between Swift and the existing Cocoa implementation is going to change, right? Like, the next version of, of Cocoa that's surely come over, out will start yeah. to Yeah, use. surely over time, like, they'll, they'll, like, rebuild all the Cocoa stuff in, in Swift or at least, you know, make it... Make it I, don't know. I don't think they'll Better. rebuild it, but I just think the new stuff that comes out now will... Will be more Swiftified in its thinking. Like yeah. the API will be more Swift. Like, like, like you mentioned, like but over time, like, blocks. Like you'll start to get yeah. the new APIs will be Swifty. Yeah, sure. At, I mean, and sure. the legacy ones, like a dress book, which is still not even got an objective. But I mean, over time, <laughs> we over time they deprecate stuff still, and yeah. so like some of the there'll be new stuff that comes out that's Swifty, and then yeah. the old stuff will get deprecated and. Yeah. Well, as as we continue on, eventually we'll have a a pure Swifty. Coco frameworks mm. and uh, even if it is you know all still written in Objective C, I'd like to get some methods that return tuples, 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 tuples. No one knows how to pronounce that thing. Yeah. I think it's. I think actually, I think it's supposed to be tuples, like as in two. I know that the um, Apple dudes apparently got it wrong on stage, so so it's not tuples then. Okay, because <laughs> that's what they were saying on stage. Well, so they, they said like different tuples. things in every talk. So yeah, well, it, it's yeah, it's <laughs> those things. It's odd. Yeah, those but things. it's cool. They're very cool. They're very cool. Uh, convince me why they're so cool. Because to me, it's like you can just do that now. You just write a class. Well, either that or you return like a or you return like an array of 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 the ver- values that you want. Right, they're equivalent to a dictionary, really. See, but now you can now you can respond with like multiple things. So let's say, I suppose the one good example is um, an error and a thing. Right, or or you could do status and like 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 I was saying with locations before. Well, coordinates are made up of two things, two yeah, floats, have right? A, have a structure which has two two elements, right? Like, I don't know why. It, it, what's the benefit of having something lighter weight than something that can contain? Like, you can already return more than one thing, right? You just return a structure or a class that has more than one thing in it. Yeah, but sometimes you don't you don't want to have to write that overhead. Yeah, I think it's just like the whole cutting back on syntax thing. Instead of creating a whole new dictionary or a whole new class, it's just there. It's just there, so you can just return you a just couple do of it. things. Yeah, yeah. I just I worry that people will just do it lots and get really lazy about it and go, "I'm returning one thing," and then go, "Oh, this this function really, I need to somehow get something but else out." They could already do that. And what, besides, like that's, an, out, an out parameter. That's all. That's always your worry. Yeah, you is your worry is always that they they will people will overuse it, and they probably will. Yeah, yeah. It'll but just be eventually, bad. yeah. Eventually, yeah, okay. what will happen is we'll come. I, you we'll know, come my up secret worry is that I'm going to overuse it. I'm going to end up with like a function that returns like fifty things in a. Sure, tuple, tuple. but the thing is, is that the thing is, is that I think over time, when as we start to generate, like as we start to, as a community and as as uh, you know, smaller communities, as we come up with things that are you know considered good and good implementations and bad implementations, yeah. it, you you'll learn and you'll you'll grow from that. Like, yeah. and it only starts. It starts out by overusing stuff and seeing what the complete and utter you know yep. limits of these things are. Yeah. But there it's interesting because um, I think your point is good that in terms of overusing stuff, we're kind of constrained a little bit in how much 
like there's this we can use all of these new features of Swift in our own code, but where we're dealing with framework code, we kind of can't. And there's this yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to new frameworks coming out that do start to use some of these features. There was um one example I saw of a tuple. I'm gonna go with tuple. Um that I don't know if it's possible now, in that when you enumerate a dictionary, there's an enumerate function. That's one thing. There's all these function names we just have to remember now. Sort, enumerate, unshare, copy. It's just like you keep running into them. But anyway, enumerate returns a tuple of key comma value. So you have your four key comma value in dictionary. Which is kind of cool, yeah. Yeah, you can't, you can't do that, right? No. Like fast enumeration on a dictionary returns the keys at the moment and then you yeah. got to pull the value in a yeah. second Whereas line. you can now fast enumerate on keys and values together. Yeah, you get them in mm. the line. In That's line. nice. It's yeah. really nice. There's a lot to like about it. I'm kind of excited. Okay, arrays. Arrays are weird as. Have you guys looked at arrays? I've not really looked at arrays much, but I understand that there is an issue when when you're using let. Yeah, so can we go back to it? I've looked at let and var. So there are these two, I'm going to go with keywords, that you can use when you're declaring a variable. Right. Right. And uh, depending on which one you use, it'll... um, make a difference on how that memory for that variable is treated. So mm-hmm. uh, let is basically saying that this is constant, unchanging. It's always yeah, going to have yeah. this value. It's kind of like, it's basically constant, yeah? Yeah, yeah. it seems yeah. to be exactly uh, equivalent. And there is variable. This is something that can change, and I expect that it to change. And my understanding so far is that you should err on the side of using let. Like, unless you know that you're going to need to change the thing, declare it as a, kind of, as a constant because it's safer, that then mm-hmm. you can't inadvertently change it. You've got to like be explicit about the fact that, oh, hang on, it turns out I need to change this thing. I better change it from yeah. a constant yep. into a variable. And it's also for optimization as well. Yeah, cool. Okay. So th- that I get. Um, arrays, if you declare you if you declare them as let, yep. then their size is constant. Yeah, but not their contents. But you can still like, like change the values it. that are assigned to at each index. Yeah. Basically. But if you do um Right. Uh, if you initialize an empty array with let, you can never add anything to it? Yes. Right. Got it. So I was tending to use var-, var variable for all my arrays pretty much because I was pretty much always wanting to do stuff with them. Yeah, they're kind of like mutable arrays. Yeah. Um, okay, so it gets a lot weirder. So you do you guys get the whole pass by reference, pass by value thing? You, yes. Do you remember that? I do remember. So pass by uh, reference is basically where I'm calling a function or a method and I give it my object. Yeah. What I give it is a reference to my object. So it then shares with me the same object. So if it modifies it and then I refer to that object later on after that method's had its chance to run, then the object has a modified state. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like what the functional programming people would talk about as a side effect, right? Like your code can, yeah, affect stuff. Okay. Um, like you can pass into a method a reference to an object that that method doesn't return. Um, you know that method might return void, right? Mm-hmm. But in in its implementation, it'll change. Something oh yeah. In one of yeah. the values you passed in. Yeah. So it's not like explicitly returning a changed an object with changed and that's state, how, but that's it's how changing. most like. That's how most um, methods use errors, right? Like, 
when you when you're passing an error into a method because you're expecting it to like you could be expecting it to give an that's error. That's kind of different. Yeah, because you're pointing. You're that's actually explicitly passing by a point value. Yeah, you, but, yeah, but then you just... take the value, which is an address, and you modify the thing at the address. Yeah. Okay. That's... So value passed by value is in Objective C would be when you passed in an int, any primitive. Yeah. Int float all of the and primitives. And passed by right. value in difference to password reference, it makes a copy. Yeah. So you. If you change that int inside that method, then the int doesn't propagate back up your code. Okay. Whereas path by reference, you pass in an object. If you change that object in that method, that object is going to change back where it came from. Sure. Yeah. All right. I haven't. I don't think I've necessarily come across. I think that most method. languages have got a concept of path by reference. Definitely. Value. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's some... usually considered. I think in PHP, it's usually considered bad, but then the whole language is considered bad. So there's that. <laughs> so basically, it's normally. Objects passed by reference, primitives are passed by value. Yeah. That's like the normal way of doing it. Yeah. Yep. Arrays are at first value. No, at first reference, and then they switch to value if you append to them. So if you go That's just weird. It's so weird. Okay, I can explain it. So you've got your very you say var A equals I don't know, one, two, three, some array, right? Yep. And now var B equals A. So we have imagine it's a, currently most people would expect Passed this to be reference. a reference, right? Yep. So, so if I change two B, variables, B and A, that both point to the same address in memory. The same array. So if yep. I change B, it should go to A. Yep. That would be the normal case. Yep. And that, that's true. That works until you append to either one of those. And then they will magically break apart and become their own arrays. This is like quantum mechanics. <laughs> so, okay. So now if you go B0 equals something, it'll change an A. Yep. But if I now add to B... Yep. That add won't go to A. And then anything I then change to B after that also won't go to A. It breaks apart at that point. So why? I don't know. They say in the book it's for optimization. That's and you can, really you confusing. You can force the break to happen using that unshare method. So if you're worried that, like, say you've, you've oh, gone okay. into a function and you're worried about, when you don't you know about the outside I think world. that kind of makes sense now. It's kind of like how all in Objective-C... All in all, strings that were the same, yeah, had the same characters in them. Actually, share were actually sharing the same. Well, that comes from C. Okay, but yeah, you're right. That's it's exactly the same idea. Yeah, that if you've yeah. got a an array with the same values in it, then for all intents and purposes, it is the same array. You may as well just have one of them because you'll save yourself a hell of a lot. Of, yeah, and perhaps it's more common than we realize to do that. That there's a lot of the time when you've got the same one. Seems yeah. weird that the point at which it unshares, as you say, is when you append to it as opposed to when you modify it. So they want to keep that referency behavior until you actually append. It's weird. I don't know any other language that does it like this. Mm. Um, but it anyway, you can force this to happen. So if you've written a function in your framework that does something with an array and you're worried about ramifications you don't know about because you don't right, know about the outside world. Yeah, you've, how could you? You can call this unshare method that will... If but how, already, how are someone that calls your function going to know whether you unshare or not? I don't know. Like, <laughs> how do I know what to expect? If I call uh, if I call an array and pass it, call a function and pass it an array, how do I know whether I should expect that it'll change my array or if it'll take a copy and do things with its own? Well, that's what that's what I'm missing about having a properly immutable array. So if you let an array, you can still change its content. So when I pass yeah. it into a method, there's no guarantee it's not going to get changed. Yeah. Whereas before I had that guarantee, you can't change that NS array. So if you, so let's say you have let 
let A equal an array of one, two, three. Yep. And then var B equal It's exactly array. what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Carry on. Then what happens when you try to change a value in B? So let's say, so you've got a variable, uh, so you've got an array of one, two, three, and you mm-hmm. change two to five, say. Yep. What happens to A? That changes because lettered arrays can still change their contents. They just can't change their size. It's weird ass. It's totally weird. That that is that is weird. Yeah, it's breaking my brain. And then when you append it to B, which is variable, so you can append to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. those changes you then for did in B would not go to A after. Right. Well, and you would hope you would hope not because in if you try to append to A, it won't allow you either, right? That's because right. It's, all, it's it's been. But you, it's so mi- you might think that the first three are still mapped to those ones in A. They're not. But they're not. They're not. Okay. It's it's odd uh, because and it's especially odd because the way that they kind of uh, explained let and var the difference between let and var was that you don't have to oh you don't have to worry about you know a mutable array or an like or, or whatever like it's just you you assign it either let or var and then you magically that's right and yeah, it's you ma- get maybe it. you don't right like this what I can't like this is all interesting in theory but what I don't understand is whether I'm likely to run across this in practice. Like, did you come across this because you were doing something in your code and it was behaving strange, or were you just... Oh, I was just exploring around, the behavior? yeah. yeah. Uh, the only thing... I, try, I big... like to try and, like, find the edge. Yeah. The only reason that I can see that this becoming a problem is that if you accidentally have code that... If you want a mutable, uh, um, an immutable array and you then accidentally try to change something in that array, it will still change. Yeah. Which is odd. Considering the fact that they said, this, so not, is, this is how they are. Not different. every language has the idea of immutable types. Like I'm pretty sure. No, but I mean that's something that we've had in Objective C previously, ages, yeah. right? You, yeah. When you create arrays, dictionaries, whatever, by default they're not mutable. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Although that kind of has annoyed me in the past. And so, well, yeah, I mean, then most you, of the time, you go to want to change it. Plenty you go, of the time, oh, you're like, oh, I, I really wanted to be able to like add stuff to this, and I have to yeah. create an actual mutable array, and then I have to because because this is a, a property on the class, and I have to go and change that, and just uh, no. The, the the problem is is that sometimes there there may be ish, there may be cases where you actually do want yeah. an immutable array, and that doesn't actually exist from mm-hmm. the sounds of it. True. You can also, so this is where I ran into my bug. You can check if the two arrays are the same by going A equal 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 B. Right. And if they are the same, that should return true. And currently it doesn't. It returns false. It's broken. You mean if they so haven't if you've been done, unshared? Yeah, if they haven't been unshared, they will be, be true. true. That will be true. So you can use that to check Yeah. as okay. a sanity check. That's interesting. Which is, well, that that's what I was wondering. I was like, so how do you know? And then I tried the triple equal thing and it just said false. And I was like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> Um, but yeah, it turns out that was just that was a just a bug, and it works in the REPL, which is really I don't know if maybe the REPL uses a newer seed or. Okay, it's possible that the REPL is using a different different yeah. version of Swift. Seems weird that it would because you go XC run Swift, mm. so it's using the Swift you would think Xcode uses. But anyway, that works. Um, hey, speaking of other language features of Swift that we haven't got to yet, generics. What do you think about generics? They're awesome, but I'm kind of used to them from Java. Yeah, they don't. I don't know. Some people were like mind blown by that, that that was even a possibility. But yeah, okay. I'm excited about having them. I have, I, I mean, we, I already knew that they were a thing because I think we discussed them last year with yeah, maybe. Casey. I we think, had, we possibly. About, yeah. Um, the thing that I'm interested in, and maybe it's related to generics, maybe it isn't. We're talking about arrays. 
Uh, in Java, you tend not to deal, or at least when I wrote Java, I didn't deal that much with arrays because I used the collections, sort of the part. Array, array list, linked list, those yeah, things? Yeah, exactly. So whereas you'd, you'd tend to write your methods as taking a list, a parameterized list, so a list of person objects or a list of yeah. whatever entity you're dealing with. Um, and you would not care about the implementation details. So when you're talking about whether an array is like low-level implementation details yeah. of how the array is implemented, you wouldn't care. You're just like, I just get this thing that conforms to the collection interface, basically. Uh, I know I can enumerate over it. I know that it will tell me the length, you know, and things yep. like that. I wonder if we're going to get that sort of thing in Swift. Are we going to Well, you can totally having... do that. Yeah. Is there protocol enumerable, yep. I think? Is that right? I don't know. But yeah, you could you could your method function, sorry, could take a parameter that was enumerable. Yeah, rather than taking an rather array. Rather than taking an array. Yeah. Okay. I wonder if that'll become more common practice. But then you wouldn't necessarily know the memory behavior of it. Like if you're given an array that's enumerable, well, we didn't really know that in Objective C either. Like Objective C switches its whole data structure at 10,000 objects by memory. Oh right, yeah. True. So Yeah. Um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh yeah, uh, I thought I think it's in the advanced Swift talk, but I thought a really interesting fact that I didn't know was how compilers handle generics. So apparently, I th- they didn't actually say it, but I'm pretty sure they were talking about the Java compiler. The way they handle generics at the compiler level is they just copy paste basically the, that method for every type it was ever called on. So they don't do it for every type; they just do it for every type your code uses that method as. Right, so and that my, leads to very my, slow debugging and bloated builds. So my hypothetical example where I have a list of people yes. that end up with an implementation of add method that is an add person method specifically. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's that's how. And it works for every in type of list, so that makes sense. Yeah. Every type of list you used as well. So if you had your one was an array list and one was a linked list, yeah. you'd end up with a method for add array list person and add link list person right and at least extremely bloated and slow debugging and swift doesn't do that apparently swift handles generics like it doesn't do that they didn't oh, actually right. say how they did that but i thought that was really cool because i didn't know that's why i've always noticed that it's much slower to debug in java in general mm. not just android but just java in general is oh my gosh how slow is android to debug <laughs> oh my so gosh slow. this completely bit me the other so i'm doing some android stuff at the moment and it completely got me like Half a day, probably, I was thinking that my code wasn't working because I would run it um, not without the debugger attached and something would happen. And I'd go, what's going on there? And so I'd attach the debugger and I'd run it again. And I'd be like, why hasn't the situation that I'm trying to observe happened? You know, I'd wait several yeah. minutes and it still hadn't oh, happened. God. turns out that it, something that took maybe 40 seconds to run without the debugger attached was taking literally i'm not exaggerating here literally seven minutes to run with the debugger attached oh wow i reckon as well it's the amount of logs it spews out have you ever just turned log on to all or whatever they call it yeah there was it's like a blur it's a blur of text coming through that log yeah i don't know i like i understand like the whole the whole point of java is for it to be compiled down right so uh, I, i don't know yeah. I don't know, understand how that. Well, Java is I mean, an interpreted language. Yeah, so it's compiled to bytecode. Yeah. And then at runtime, it's just in time compiled. At least it used to be. I don't know. My I knowledge is probably is. out of date. 
Same with C Sharp. My knowledge of yep. Java But that's is what's limited. cool about Swift is it's actually compiled down to assembly. Well, so not assembly. It's compiled down to op codes. Right. So it's binary. not just in time compiled. Yeah. It's compiled, compiled. Which is really cool. So that was like one of the big complaints about everyone was going like, oh, we need Objective-C because you'll never get the performance out of any of these fancy functional languages. Yes, I believe we've talked about that before. <laughs> yeah, speaking of performance, there was there was a blog post yeah, it's this not looking good. Where apparently Swift is not looking good. It's been multiple blog posts now. Yeah, so Apple had some charts during WWDC where they're like, not only is Swift fast, in some cases it's faster than Objective-C. Um, turns out that that's not often well, the case. Well, a lot case. of people had, So they were like specific examples. I think they did a hash of a... They did like an MD5 hash or something yeah. in that graph. No, they did encoding. I don't know. But a lot of people have done like much simpler examples you would come across in everyday life, like looping over an array or, and it's way slower. Like the other thing I think, I, th- I think hundreds of magnitudes slower. Aren't, aren't there issues that if you don't do something correctly with Swift, it, it is slower? Yeah. There's so the compile optimization levels. Yeah. Same thing in Objective-C, but it just seems like in Objective-C, it was like milliseconds different between optimized great and optimized only little, yeah, and whereas this... Swift goes from whole seconds down to milliseconds if you don't get your optimization right. Um, and the problem a lot of people are coming across if they use this O fast, so there's an optimization level for fast code. It, the reason it goes so fast is it turns off all those checks for yeah. like array bounds and stuff. And, and you people... don't want it to turn off. Like that's the whole yeah. point of the language is that it adds exactly. Um, but I guess once you've tested your code thoroughly and it's never going to happen, maybe that's when you're meant to use it. I don't but know. But yeah, it seems pointless. Like, I mean, surely it's there for a reason. Well, it's I, I guess, to go fast. <laughs> I guess um, probably the performance of the language is one of the things that would be l- least fair to pick on at the moment yeah, in this first I mean, version. Like, how yeah, often things are going to change. <laughs> and also, gonna... how often do you write Objective-C code and go... Or like, how often did we write code and go, damn, it's just not fast enough. Like, that was quite a rare case. That's, yeah, that's the reason that case. you had to write your own C string. Exactly. It happens. Like, it happens in very specific examples, but yeah. you shouldn't judge a whole yeah. language and, based on And on o- often when it happens, it's there are things you can do in your algorithm. So the thing that was taking an age in this Android app I was working on was um, I had something like 20,000 points, like lat long coordinates. Right. And uh, I wanted to find the closest point to another point on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, my naive implementation was like, I'll just go through them all. Yeah. <laughs> so all 20,000. And it's like, okay, that's too slow. Um, but you could get it, you know, a hell of a lot faster by saying, okay, I'll divide them into four groups and I'll first determine which quarter of the map you're in. And now I'll just go through quarter of them. It's like, oh, suddenly my code is, you know, four times faster. Yeah, so that's data structures. Um, so you're always going to, I think that there's always going to be opportunity for those sorts of improvements in performance in terms of the data structure and the algorithm before you need to worry about yeah. the language, right? You know, itself. Like if if you're actually down, and of course, before everyone writes in, I know that there are circumstances where you've already optimized your data structures, you've already optimized your algorithms, and really you need to use the fastest language out there. Um, in which case, you probably won't pick Swift at this stage. But, but that's the thing. Like, I think that's a, I mean, a real Swift, edge case. Swift, regardless of how long they've been working on Swift, right? Swift is a week old at this point. Mm. Two weeks old at this point. Wait, 
I'm trying to do the math for the amount of time. <laughs> three weeks old. It might be three weeks Plus old. Plus the number of years it's been in gestation. Right, but it's but really, like even though it's been in gestation for that long, it's yeah. three weeks old. Yeah. Like it's like when like it's it's like when you build an app, right? And you you hand it out to a couple of you, you hand it out to people for beta testing and it's like, yeah, we picked up some of the bugs. But then you then you release it pu- publicly oh, and, and it's you like realize, holy yeah. mother, yeah. like there are mm. so many more bugs. Yeah. Uh it's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. It actually blows my mind that they were able to do it. Like, isn't it incredible yeah. that they were able to get it to the point that it's at without having opened it up to a bigger pool? Like, exactly. I, I kind of assumed that if we're ever going to get a new language, we're going to get like a, 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 you know, a real alpha version a year before it's ready to be used. I thought at the all. amazing thing was like this talk only really heated up in the last six months, probably. Like, ah, oh, Objective C is rubbish. We need a new language, and they've been on it for four years. Like, that's just not the Apple we really knew. Or is it no one thought they would ever do it? Is it? Because that's isn't that the same thing that happened with the iPad, really? Like, the iPad had actually been in in gestation for, like, like 10 years or something. But that was for consumers, not developers. They don't care about developers until this year. Apparently they do. (laughs) Until (laughs) this year. Until this year. WWDC was actually a developers conference for once, not a let's release some new hardware, here's how you can use it. But it was like that before, wasn't it? Before the iPhone came along. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I don't. I don't know because nobody went to it. I, I went to it before the iPhone came along. Was was it was? Were you there for like the web object stuff? Yeah, there were web yeah. object sessions at WWDC. And uh, and how many people turned up to those? Like four, Lots. four, five. No, it was like six. It was a big thing. Web objects back in the day. There were like whole street. There was like a desktop Mac stream, and then there was yeah. the web. Back stream. in my day, says Jake. Apple yeah. used to care about the internet. The other thing that really amazed me is like last year when they released this whole new design metaphor or whatever they're called, the designers just looked at it and went, oh my God, I've got so much work to do. Whereas this year, somehow they've pulled off releasing a whole new language and yet everyone's excited rather than annoyed. I, at I don't know if they... we'd say everybody. I think there are certainly people out there that are annoyed. Oh, there's a majority that are excited though. Like the general feel in the room was like, yay, this is awesome. And yeah. everyone was talking about it. Yeah. And yeah, you come across the guy that's like, I think, oh, I don't really like it. I think the difference there, right. And and the thing is, is that like the, the level of release is pretty similar. In fact, this year it's probably bigger. Because I mean, last year it, they changed a lot of user interface stuff. They changed a lot of uh, a lot of the methods and underlying stuff to do with the user interface, right? Yeah. But it was all it was all user interface, and so there was a whole lot of design work and stuff that had to go on. But this year they've released an entire language. But it's not so much that they've released an entire language, but they've made a lot of changes and added a lot of new things that are making it better to mm-hmm. write Objective C apps. Like part of the Part of the great thing about Swift, and part of the thing that's so, uh, so that that makes it so, uh, so like that we want to use it, and we what we're excited about it is things like you know the fact that it's got th- got features that we hadn't had before, generics, some some functional stuff, um, all that sort of stuff, the tu- tuples, tuples, <laughs> tuples, optionals, um, things like the immutable like let var thing. Um, all that sort of stuff. Like this is stuff that is going to improve the way that we write apps. Functions inside structs. What? Awesome. Oh, I don't see. I'm not sure I agree that the flexibility with structs, enumerations, and classes all being able to have functions and all being able to conform to protocols is awesome. I'm. 
I'm just confused. Is that by because it. is that because you're not sure when to use but they different already, things? Or well, so they like, already have that in Objective C. It's just messy. Like you have all your CG rec mech, CG min X, CG whatever. Right. They're all so, there. so there are functions that you can use with structures that in only work on that structure. Right. But enumerations in Objective C can't have functions. No, they can't. I, I see your point. I still find that one weird, but Java so, has that. Java, you can yeah, add a whole pile does. of stuff to emails. So, and, and that's weird. Like in Java, apparently these days, the way to do a singleton in Java is yeah, to do an it in enum. enum. And I'm like, okay, yeah. maybe that maybe we can use that in Swift because there's no class variables, so we can't have... Yeah, I'm not sure on the enum one yet, but I definitely like the struct one. And in answer to your question, Jelly, I guess, um, yeah, I I... So where I have choices, I need to trust my knowledge is good enough to make the right choice at the right time. I don't trust myself. If the language has strong opinions or is so strongly opinionated that there's no choice, um, then I feel like someone's got my back. It's like, you know, use this thing for that. You know, if you need to write uh, logic, use a class. If you just want something that has data, use a structure. Uh, If you want to be able to express the you know a number of states that something could have using enum um that is right, clear to me right but, but where there, like they can all do the same thing i'm like so but there are other cases in objective c that are like that and maybe not quite as I, I overarching think it's pretty similar still like it, the thing is is that i think like no, the thing that gets me is like someone can say like okay um you know your table view uh delegate right or mm-hmm. data source you said you could be a table view data source like okay uh, in Objective C, clearly, I'm going to write a class that implements those methods. Mm-hmm. In Swift, I'm like, hmm, maybe I'll write an enumeration. No, no, maybe I'll write a struct. No, maybe I'll write a class. I, I don't think know. that's still just a class, same as Objective C. But it could be a, like, I could write an enumeration that is a table view data source. But why? I don't know. Yeah, exactly, that's my point. Saying. Why? Why does I think the rules are still the same? Like think, you use think- them when. Yeah, I, th- I don't think the rules have changed. And the thing is, is that even if they even if they have, over time you're going to generate that knowledge again. Yeah, I know, I know. It's just it's the, like it there are plenty of there are plenty so of things weird. in Objective C that uh, are very similar. Like they, there's no real clear way, and if you make a mistake, it's just not like there is no there's no reason why it will like why it would break until it does break, right? Yeah. But I, I guess no one's articulated to me the benefit of having structures enumerations and classes all being able to conform to the same type same uh interface like, i haven't seen the, the interface stuff yet i know why you can add methods and stuff to enums and why the enum one is say you had a they, i think they even use this example in the, the slides that's where i've got it from but you have like your train and your train has a status it can be on time delayed, delayed. yep and, and then it can people be delayed go by a number of minutes deliberately go delayed by how much yeah and you're like cool i can do that now and that's about that's like what you should use it for yeah, that's the idea. Classes you yeah, use. When I would you have want. to say I agree with Ben on this. Like, it's not. I don't think it's changed. Like when you choose to use those things. Yeah, it's, it's just, just it's if just you are opened up the ability. You could do. Yeah, it just opens up the abilities of what you can do with that, and yeah. so you don't have to write like a method on your class that takes that that, that takes that enum to determine like how late the train is. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. just you've got that kind of encapsulated, which makes the most sense. Really, it does, and. The difference between classes and structs generally is that structs are passed by value and classes are passed by reference. Yeah. Classes can be subclassed, all the other fancy class features you get. Yeah. Structs can't. Yeah. I guess. And now you've just got a nice place to put those extra functions that everyone was writing anyway to work with those structs. Yes, that's true. Yeah. 
that's why I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool just for the there's now a nice place for those functions to go. Yeah, that they can go in the structure. They go in the structure than, that yeah. they belong to. It's Which the only thing they do. And in fact, the um, namespaces and enumerations work well together. Yeah, yeah. The fact you can just use dot. Yeah, and then the value of the enumeration. Mm, yeah, that is really nice. Yep. That was cool. Mm. I did like that. But how about namespaces? I'm so confused by the this implicit namespace business. It's just a module. Yeah, I, I realize your namespace. It's kind of a. I would have liked a real. I think it's a not a cop out, but it's it's only half of what you really want with a namespace. Mm. I don't know. I, I think it mostly covers all the sort of things that we would be doing with namespaces. How do you declare a new module? You have to make its own whole library, like a framework. Framework, or sorry. Yep, so it's yeah. going to be a different target, basically. It's going to be a completely different target, like. Yep. And that's fine. Like, how often are you going to have a like an object that has the same exact? It's not just for um your name conflicts. It's just like say you're in Java, you your view controllers will be in their own namespace, and your other yeah. controllers will be in their own namespace. And it's possible and... that you're you've got um slightly different representations of a similar concept in different parts of your code. Like, say for example, you're interacting with an API, and you get back a a person from your API. Mm-hmm. And then at some point later, you persist that. Um, the pers- the version of that entity that you're going to persist, so your persisted person and your API person, might be similar but might be different. Yeah, And it might be nice to be able to refer to them both as just person because most of the time you're only dealing with it, you know, either in the context of I'm just dealing with my API and I know that it's an API person or I'm just dealing with my persistence and I know it's a persisted person. And so you don't need that prefix, the beginning. You just call them both person. But because they're in separate namespaces, that's fine. If you are ever in a bit of code that needs to do with both, you just use the more fully qualified name and you're like... But most of the time, when you're dealing with that sort of situation, your persisted person and your API person are going to be... Like your your API is going to deal with the persistence or whatever. Like I, I don't necessarily... I think that's getting down into... No, we did it the other day. Yeah, really? you should uh, Java code. If you haven't looked at it for a while, look at some Java code because it it's really uses nice. namespaces a lot. You and you just use names, but like you'd use namespaces to separate your model, your in, your sort of model objects from your controllers from your, you know. Yeah, okay. It's just uh, I don't know. I I like I use I I mean I I do use namespaces for that. For instance, in PHP, which is where most of my namespace stuff is is, but ninety five percent of the time I'm using namespaces to deal with like one f- framework essentially yeah, yeah yeah um it's very rare that i would do anything more than that. i mean i can you can because you can have namespaces that have like separate like, yeah namespaces in php are separate are essentially a folder structure yeah same in java it same gets java, it gets a bit yeah. nuts sometimes you does got, like, but i don't the know a bad thing they go down your um bundle id what's is that mm. the same word in java but anyway so your your project is structured AU is a folder and then com and then another folder for your company name and then another folder for your app name before you actually get to the code. So can you actually like explicitly give namespaces in Swift? No. You can't at all. No, you can't. Okay. No, they just come from that could the... be something else to add to the list of things to I agree. That's what it, that's what I meant by it's like file a, writer. It's like sort of half done feature. <laughs> Yay, we gave you namespaces, but I don't really want to have to go through the hassle of breaking out my code into its own framework just to but you're going to have to break it into its own framework because extensions. Yep. And if you want to share code between your Mac app and your iOS app, 
Mm-hmm. And now or if you want to have it. like separate builds of an app, like some people still do with um, like for iPad and iPhone. Yep. Oh, speaking mm-hmm. of which, we're right so run out of time today, but I want to have I have some follow up for you from last time, specifically me. You were right about CloudKit. You can do push notifications. I'm that, so awesome. But there is no code on the server. So you're right. Uh, yeah. the, you don't you don't write any code. The, the whole point of CloudKit is that you don't write code for the server. Yeah. And I don't think that at any point we're going to get a CloudKit where you do write code for the server. I hope we do because I still think it's... I don't think that that's going to happen. Okay. Like, I, I, re- I really think that the whole point of CloudKit, like the reason that they've built CloudKit the way that it is, is so that you never write cloud-based code. You never write server code. Yeah. I know. I hope that we can write code on the server because I but still it's think so it's a limitation. useful to write code on the it will, server. It may, well, that's that was Jake's thing last week. But the thing is, like the thing is, is that they want CloudKit to be this thing for your iOS apps, and I don't think it's going to extend outside of that. But no man is an island. No iOS app is an island. The thing is, the thing is, I may be incorrect in so far as I mean, for instance, with with. With iCloud previously, we had like the document structures where it was all the each each application was its own separate little thing, and yeah. nothing ever existed outside of that. And it seemed like they were kind of they were saying, no, 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 we're going to have this. Yeah. No, 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 this is what we're having. Yeah, and you then they And then they've backtracked, and now it's essentially Dropbox. And there's a Windows version acknowledging that no Mac is an island. <laughs> um, it's interesting to read. Uh, was it Brent Simmons' post about? Vesper? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read that one. Um, would he have used CloudKit? Was that today? I saw no, it, was no, it was last week. week. Last week or so. <laughs> Reflecting on uh, post-WWDC, um, now knowing about CloudKit, would they have used right. CloudKit to do Vesper Sync as opposed to Windows Azure? I think his reaction was no. His, yeah. Like, short, short version was no. Um, I think that like the longer bit is to do exactly what they're doing right now. They probably could have. Yep. But to have the sort of flexibility that they want for the future. Right. And that's what I'm talking about. That's what. So you're right about push notifications. Uh, the API does let you express a. So basically, you can subscribe to a query. So you can run an ad hoc mm-hmm. query against CloudKit and say, "Give me all the." I was writing a little newsreader style thing. I was saying, "Give me all the posts that have been posted in the last thirty days," um, and you could subscribe to that. So if there's a new item created that then satisfies that query, you'd get it as a push notification. Right. Um, I don't think it actually works at the moment. I couldn't get it to work, and I saw in the developer no, forums that it's not working. Yep. Yep. So I think it's not current working in the current seed. But the idea seems cool. It seems like a really neat solution. Um, but there are so many still so many situations where I'd want code sure. to run in the cloud. The thing is, is that I, 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 I still think that Apple's direction with this is in in a similar way to their direction previously was okay. Every app has its own little. Yeah, own I, little I'm not arguing zone. with your analysis of their think, direction. I'm just saying that I, I, think it's I hope happen. that they change their minds because yeah. as a developer, I want more flexibility. I would say that's that's awesome. I hope I hope that they also do change their minds because I can see why you would want stuff in the cloud. That being said, like it's it's kind of like you know expect. Uh, plan for the worst, expect the best, or something like whatever the f- phrase is. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, the, as a result of CloudKit being the way that it is, the circumstances in which I might use it are really limited. Right, I'll probably stick to PaaS or Azure, and that's fine because of the ability to run code in the cloud, ability to have web UIs, and right. the potential future of having other platforms interact with the backend. I don't think you could ever do a client app on CloudKit. Like, if a client came to you and said, "Make me my app." 
you would never be able to choose cloud kit because you are locking them into something that well maybe not they a may client, not even but like there for are, your own there are stuff, plenty of maybe. like little people maybe. like little things that are being made by people just to fulfill whatever needs that they want and they never have like they yeah, yeah. never will ever take it outside that's, of and the it's fine I, for that. iOS system um, but that's what i mean like it's just this huge feature that's really only going to be used but that, by tiny yeah and that's the thing. Like, if if Apple do change their minds, it'll be because there's not enough uptake of it, right? Yeah. Um. But the thing is, is that until that happens, until we see the results of that, I don't think that they're going to. And the other thing that annoyed me a little bit was they're like, "Oh, we're all in on this. We built iCloud Photo, whatever, on CloudKit." But it's as if the like when the photo team goes, "We can't do this," they don't just go talk to the the CloudKit team and go, exactly. "We really need to be able to do this," and they go, "Okay, cool." And then they put it in. So it's like, not really. You didn't really build it on there. And my, when you say there are lots of people that that it does satisfy, how many of those people hold ambitions of, of becoming big, for example? Or, well, or maybe think, none of them. Like, But this is one of the things that you have to, like, this is one of the things that you have to take into account when you're also, when you're developing your app, right? You have to consider what the potential future of this is, like, of your app is. Hmm. A lot of people will just say, will just think, well, this is just an app that I created for for me. I'm, I don't expect it to go anywhere, and then it does, and then you know you have the whole thing of okay, well, I I but use ClassKit. I, actually think I really the, the opposite want to might be the true. I reckon there'll probably be lots of people who could have got away with using i using CloudKit, well, possibly who have am, greater ambitions for their app and go, oh, I don't want to lock myself in. I'm going to use something. But else. then the same thing could be said about Pars and stuff like that. Like there, I'm sure there are plenty of people who run their own own systems where they could have just been using something like pars That's true. because you know it, if i use pars i'm going to lock myself into their infrastructure and if it goes really big then yeah, well i mean it's sure but like they're the the point kind of stands i, I don't know that i but and we're getting sidetracked anyway yeah. we're not supposed to be talking about this, all this this follow-up was meant to be your right <laughs> the thing is is that i i think i think I mean, we probably will see more from CloudKit in the future, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be outside of the direction that they're already well, taking. I'm going to keep looking for opportunities to use it because it seems really cool. Sure. And um, and I've done a bit with it so far, and there's a lot to like about it. Um, there are some of the APIs are a bit weird, um, like the trying to figure out who's logged in, um, was a bit. Yeah, you can't because you can't just query users. You have to like you have do to first get their permission. And, and the only permit yep. so. I wanted to be able to say I've got an app that um certain people uh, have access to. Like I want to be able to control the content to say mm-hmm. um this group of people are allowed to use the app to see this content. Um and in order to decide whether they can, I need to know who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't necessarily need them to know about each other. The only permission that CloudKit's got is basically um you can find out whether there's an iCloud user currently authenticated or not, which is handy. Um, if there is. You can ask for their permission for their account to be discoverable, and the dialogue they get is that this app wants to allow other users of the app to find out about you. Um, okay. And I don't want other users of the app to find out about them. I want me as the developer to find out about them to determine mm-hmm. whether or not they're in the list of people that should be allowed access to the content. I don't want all of the users to, you know, discover their friends, you know, right. by using this app. Right. That permission doesn't exist. So you can't just say, as a developer, give me the first name, last name, or email address of this iCloud user. Um, you can just say, ask the permission if they're happy for everyone who ever uses this app to have their email address. 
It's weird. I have a question for you. I have one question, and then we're going to wrap it up. Okay. Have you filed a radar on this? <laughs> no. <laughs> file a radar. But there's no, like, I'm not going to use CloudKit. I'll file a radar that CloudKit doesn't have a web API. I think you should, I think you should file a um, radar for this stuff. Because that's a honestly. bigger way. Because, I, I mean, even, even if it does nothing, even if it goes into the black hole and just kind of gets consumed, then you've done what you can at this stage. Like, that's literally what you can do at this point. That's true. I can do that. Mm. Or you could just do it on Parser as you Yeah, now. exactly. That's what I'm going to do. Not be locked into a platform. I have think an open should, pricing model. I think, and that's fine. You should do, but you should you should do that. But you should also like, and you can do that. But I think you should also file a radar so that we can, we can then maybe CloudKit will become the platform that you want. Yeah, possibly. Not that I'm you know big on radar at the moment. I've filed zero since dub dub. Because okay, I'm out of I'll, time. I'll make a commitment to you now. I'll file some radars before next episode. Okay. And with that, if you would like to read about any of the stuff that we've talked about today. Uh, any of the blog posts that we mentioned or anything like that, we will be putting all of the links to those into our show notes, which are on the website. Go to mobilecouch.co forward slash 34 and uh, they will be there listed. Very pretty links. Click, 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 read. Or tap. Or tap. Or tap. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do that as I well. I did log a radar about that. Did you know there are APIs called did click on iOS? Aren't they the worst? Yeah. That got marked as a duplicate. <laughs> There's probably like thousands and thousands and thousands of things about it, but they've never needed to change it because the functionality hasn't actually changed. Yeah. Anyway, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can do that as well. You can jump onto our website, mobilecouch.co forward slash contact, and you can use that form to send us an email. We read everything that comes to us. We read everything. Everything. It takes so long, man. It takes so long to get through our, like, what, th- one, million. two email? Oh, right, of course, of course. Mm. A million. million emails. One or two million. Uh, you can also get in touch with us individually. Jake is on Twitter as Jay McMullen. That's J-M-A-C-M-U-L-L-I-N. Ben is at Ben Trengrove. That's B-E-N-T-R-E-N-G-R-O-V-E. And I am at Jelly Bean Soup. That's it. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, we've enjoyed talking about Swift today, and I'm sure we will continue to talk much about Swift and other various things that we learned from Dub Dub, as well as other various things that we haven't learned from Dub Dub Dub. Hmm. And let, let us know what you like about Swift too. We'd love to hear from you guys. So what we were wrong anymore. about? Yeah, probably. most of it. Yeah. Let us know where we were wrong too. Right. And that's it. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.